Hello, and welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast by women in politics, about women in politics. I'm your host, Anna Greenberg. I'm a pollster with Greenberg, Finland, Rosner, a Democratic consulting firm. We work for Democrats running for office in progressive advocacy groups across the country. Now, I started this podcast earlier this year because I was angry at how women writ large were treated in the 2016 election. But I also thought about the amazing work women did behind the scenes in all aspects of politics, from the media to consulting to working on campaigns. And I wanted to highlight the amazing work these women do. This year, we spoke to women who conducted opposition research, who covered the Clinton campaign, leaders in data analytics, and the women who train women to run for office. Go back and take a listen. I guarantee you'll learn something. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at She Said Paul Pod and leave us a review and rating on iTunes when you get a chance. It really helps get the podcast out. Today, we're going to talk to Rebecca Katz, a partner at Hilltop Public Solutions, a political consulting firm. She's a communications professional. She served as a special advisor to Mayor Bill de Blasio, playing a senior role in guiding communication strategy for the mayor and the first lady. She ran Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid's war room, assisting with the planning and execution of the White House communication strategy for Judge Sonia Sotomayor's confirmation. And she works with Planned Parenthood, fighting back on the unprecedented assault on women's health. She's a great progressive voice on Twitter, and you can follow her at Rebecca K. Katz. Today, Rebecca and I will talk about self-promotion. There may be no more important issue for women's success in politics. I hate to say it, but women who want to be successful in politics need to learn how to self-advocate, to fight for their point of view, and present themselves in ways that men never have to think about. Rebecca and I will talk about the good, bad, and the ugly of promoting yourself. Let's take a listen. Um, and so let's get started. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me. Rebecca and I go way back. We worked together on Mayor Bill de Blasio's first campaign in 2013, and I came to admire her a great deal and continue to admire her. I have to say that the first time I met her was in focus groups, and I think you'd had your second child maybe a couple weeks before. And I have to say, you looked pretty miserable, but you were there. <laughs> you were at the focus groups. Yes. I, I think it's always fun. Um, that was, I think, my first race where there was another mom on the race. And I think it meant a lot to me that someone could actually say, you look like shit. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you came pretty close. <laughs> I said something like, I feel your pain. Well, I was also going through a divorce at the time. So you were also, I was like, can I skip this meeting? Because I need to stay home to do something with my, you know, deal with my ex. And you were, and you were good at, nope, you got to come to this meeting. So we both did a lot of things that we really didn't we, want to do. <laughs> we leaned on each other a great deal in that race. Yes, we did. Luckily, we won. Yes, exactly. And it was a great win. I want to start by talking about self-promotion and I think this is a, a, a very important process um, it's a very important thing that people do who are successful and I think that lots and lots of research bears out and I think probably our own personal experience that women do are not very good at, at self-promotion and it can be for lots of different lots of different reasons that we can get into um, but I want to and actually when I was re- doing some research for this podcast um, somebody uh, called it being sort of a self-advocate which I actually like a little bit more than self-promotion because self-promotion sounds like bragging but being a self-advocate um, makes sense to me I have I talk to women younger women in my office and I, I, I always say to them if you want to raise you have to come ask me for one because no one's going to do it for you you're going to be your own best advocate so don't wait for somebody to say, oh, you deserve a raise. And so just recently, a woman came to my office to ask for a raise. And she says, well, you always said that I should self-advocate and ask for a raise. And I'm like, good for you. I am so glad you came in here. And 
hires me for a raise. Um, so maybe self-advocates a little better than self-promotion. But, you know, what's your sort of, you, you are a comms professional. Yes. And you, you deal with it both with your clients and presumably yourself as well. Right. And I think it's always trying to remember the advice that I give my clients. Like, I've been doing politics for over 20 years, and it took me much longer than it should have to realize that I'm just as good as other people in the room and to actually assert myself. Um, and, you know, I was lucky. I started off on the Hill, and I was lucky to have um, a lot of bosses, uh, male bosses, but female chief of staffs who always tried to, you know, get me to get out there a little bit. And I had, you know, I was confident. I, I, I like to be the person who was like kind of at the back of the room saying what somebody else was doing wrong, but it took me a long time to be the person at the front of the room presenting. Um, and the hardest part, I guess, was when I was with. Um, Harry Reid, we would have these weekly uh, meetings with senators, and I was a communications director, and I had to tell the senators, you know, this is what we're doing this week. And, you know, if they were in the mood, a senator could just dress you down. And it was like, it was the, I would just dread it. Like, every week, someone would just, like, one senator, you know, actually the worst was Barack Obama when he was a senator. He would just be like, this is stupid, let me tell you why. And when I can picture him doing that. <laughs> and, and I remember being like, I'm never going to win this. I'm never, so I was like, so every week I would just prepare for my meetings more and more and more. And it was, always, it, was, it was always a little bit tricky, but from that, what I consider like really challenging experience, I started feeling a little bit more confident. Like if I'm going to speak somewhere, I'm going to know what I'm talking about. Um, but there is, I mean, there is a feeling that when you're in a room, like people will respect men a little bit more. So you have to, you have to figure out your movement. And, and actually watching my male colleagues, I think has helped me say, well, I can say that. And sometimes it's well-received, sometimes not so much. Um, but it's it's been it's been easier through the years. Mm -hmm. I think I think age has has helped <laughs> for sure. Age and experience. So that's one aspect of self promotion, which is to say, finding your voice, expressing your view, mm -hmm. not being afraid to be in conflict, which is something we should talk about because I think that that's one of the things that inhibits women from speaking up and asserting themselves, um, especially in politics, especially campaigns, where there is actually quite a bit of conflict, at least in my experience. <laughs> um, but the other aspect of self-promotion is how do you package yourself as an individual right. and put it out into the world um, and as a way of either advancing yourself professionally within mm -hmm. your firm or you know to trying to develop a reputation more broadly those seem right. like two two separate but totally related things right and I mean I'm a political consultant like I have to go get clients and when you go get clients they want to know that they're hiring you know the best and you have to show them that you're the best but it's still hard to say like I did this I always try and talk about like a team and a this and a that but I when I see other male you know especially like uh proposals they're just like i did this i did this i did this and it's even if i did something a hundred percent i still have a hard time saying it was me but you have to you have to you have to be strong you have to stop self-deprecating like even little things like someone gives you a compliment take the compliment don't just say oh well you know like take the compliment um i think it goes back to like when you're very young in school you know like be the person putting your hand up in class and start there and then everything in life will get a little bit easier uh, but I guess um, it's also it's tricky you know like you you want to put yourself out there but then you don't want people to you know especially in a world uh, the Twitter world you know like you don't want anyone to say something that well that's not true and, that, and then I realized you know what there's terrible people on Twitter and whatever you say someone's gonna say something negative mm -hmm. so just be yourself and go out there and you know just go for it mm -hmm. yeah um, it's funny um, I had a, a former colleague um, who went to a different firm 
and I was, you know, doing, I don't know what I was doing, I was looking at different, different websites of my, of my competitors, and I went and I looked and I saw his bio, and he said that he had led the successful strategy and research for Rahm Emanuel's race for mayor. This is in 2010, I think it was, 2011, I mean. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I think my, my, my dad and I were, were not only the lead pollsters on that race, but he's still our client. <laughs> and so I actually emailed someone at the firm and I said, you know, I'm all for people listing things they've worked on. Mm -hmm. Even if they were a very junior person, you know, whenever you work in a political consulting firm, you're gonna put experience on there, I worked for this. I say it's different to put on you like that you led the strategy for the successful campaign. But to your point about men not being shy about claiming credit for things, even if they actually didn't do the thing they're claiming claiming credit for. Um, well, what I mean, what advice would you give to someone, to a woman, let, leaving aside kind of the, the sort of the notion of having your own voice, etc. What kind of advice would you give to a woman who wants to be better at self promotion? Well, I think the first thing is you need to call out the bullshit a little bit more. Like we have such like. We have such a hard time doing that in our line of work. Um, and I know, like, I had a, an example where I had worked on something for years and created something, right? And there had been early on someone who came in to do a little bit of consulting for like two weeks and then didn't work out and left. And they were quoted in newspapers being like, the person behind this brand. Mm -hmm. And I caught up the reporter and I'm like, you know, this is bullshit. <laughs> um, and I think you, you have to, you have to be a little bit more assertive um, and then you have to feel like if you can't if you're not the one who who feels comfortable self-promoting imagine if it's one of your friends or your sister somebody you care about how would you what advice would you give them think about it and then take that advice mm -hmm. um, because you want to you want the best for the people you love and they want that for you so you got to treat yourself a little bit better and you really you just have to you, you also have to support women should support other women and I think that's something um, I've seen far too many times that women get super competitive with, an, if there's one other woman in the room, they will get competitive with that other woman. Like, it's not the men in the room, it'll be like women. And that's the worst, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think it's very important. I had an old boss who says, like, a leader knows, like, about, you know, the people coming up behind them, too. And it's really important. And I think that you have to empower and support the people like who are your coworkers and also the people, you know, coming up behind you. Because the best way that we get ahead is if we all get ahead together. Yeah. That's right. So uh, the way I think about it for me and uh, is first, like, what's my value proposition? So I'm a pollster and I'm an academic, mm -hmm. former academic, but academically trained. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, one of my areas of expertise is on women and women in voting and political and pub, you know, public opinion. And I, I've mentioned on earlier podcasts that I go out of my way to do work on other issues, mm -hmm. in part because I don't want to be typecast as the woman pollster who does right. woman stuff, and then that's all I can do. But I also know that's my value proposition. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I write about that, especially in provocative ways, that it can get me attention. Mm -hmm. And I can do it from a place of confidence because I know from my training and, and the work I do and so early on I wrote a lot of things like I attacked the whole notion of the security mom mm -hmm. when that was hot uh, and the angry white women you know voters mm -hmm. and so um, I did a lot of writing and you know I, I was able to get things published but when I couldn't I just put it on Huffington Post and then I just pushed it out through my company's email list and Facebook page and you know and so so what is your value proposition and I think that that especially if it's an area where you feel confident it can help you feel better, if you will, about bragging or promoting yourself and the work you're doing. Right, and I also feel, I mean, Twitter comes in quite handy here too, mm -hmm. because I will say like, I feel like 
often that I know a lot when I'm in a room, but sometimes I, I hold back. And I think you almost get something from Twitter when you're out there and you say something and everyone's like, that's smart. And you're like, yeah, I thought so. Thanks, right. thanks for that. And it's a way that, especially in my line of work, which is communications, when you're telling people like this is the way to go, you literally have proof of when you're right. You know what I mean? Like you say your beliefs and then like an election happens the way it is and you're like, oh, look at all these tweets I did. Mm-hmm. I said this. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's a way to also, you know, get get um, in, in terms of communications, like realize that you are. you Right. Are well, so develop a point of view in an area where you feel confident and use the tools of social media, which doesn't require doing something like writing a magazine article or a paper like, like some of the right. stuff that I do. And I do think social media is profoundly changed women's ability, even though there's obviously a huge amount of really bad stuff that happens to women online. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it does give women, I think, much bigger. And same with podcasts. And yeah. I mean, it gives you... It's a women, great equalizer. Right. And, it, and you can do it yourself. There's no yeah. gatekeeper, right? right? And so if you have a point of view and you get your... And the other point about having your friends support you is really important. When I started this podcast, you know, I always have the set of friends who I say, okay, I'm posting it. You got to tweet it. You got to put it on Facebook. You've got to... Right. Yeah, and, and so yeah, I, I, I get my posse yeah. of mostly women to promote also and um, and that's you know incredibly important another thing about self-promotion or self-advocacy is um, really thinking about what it means to be a mentor um, or to have a mentor because mentoring is fine but what really matters is sponsorship if that makes sense mm-hmm. which is it's fine to have a mentor who tells you something about how you're doing your work but you want that person to be an advocate for you right so asking people um, one this is a really good example I'm terrible at asking my clients to put in a good word for me with potential clients. Terrible. Mm-hmm. I always think, oh, they're busy. Governor so-and-so and mayor so-and-so, they, they're really busy. And I'm a hack political consultant. Why would they want to make a call on my behalf? And as, and, but I was seeing all the men around me who would get all of their clients. And, and by the time I was pitching them, they said, well, you know, you know, he's really got all these governors or senators who say he's great, and I think I'll have a good relationship with these party committees if I have him, and I realize I'm losing out. So I experimented a couple cycles ago and actually asked some people to recommend me. And I had to, and, and every single one was more than happy to do it. Yeah. You know, it was. I think that sometimes people like being asked to do something that's easy for them to do, right? right. I'm not asking them to right. find a job for someone. I'm saying, can you just send an email that says this person's great? And so actually, Mayor de Blasio, who has my, has been my client since uh, 2013, I asked him, I said, could you shoot a note to so-and-so um, where I'm pitching? And he said, I'd be happy to, and he did. And then I said, I profusely thanked him. I know you're busy. And he said, you know, you can ask me to do that any time. I will always do that for you. And it was a really good lesson for me is that find the people who will who will sponsor you and promote you. Right. And what I found, it was interesting. So when I was in Washington um, and I was working for Leader Rita, I had tons of friends, right? Everybody, you know, I got invited everywhere. And then and then I and then I left Washington and it stopped, right? And I will always remember one of the people was Stephanie Cutter, who I had like I was unemployed, I was like trying to figure out what I would do next, and she was like one of my people who just said, I'm I'm gonna help you. You know, like where do you wanna live? What do you wanna do? I'm gonna help you. And I have never forgotten it because it's very easy to have to be someone's, you know, person when they're doing well. But the people who are there for you when you're low, it's important to remember to be there for other people when they're low. Mm-hmm. And it um 
there's so many but it's also important to ask for that help I guess yes. that's my point is even though it's wonderful that Stephanie did that right. you know identifying people in your life who you know you can go to who will help you in some way whether it's promoting you or recommending and, you and again think about what you would do for somebody else like I know that there's so many people that I've worked with that I would be happy to recommend so why wouldn't they be happy to recommend me right mm -hmm. it's like I think with, especially with women there's something where you have to tell yourself like okay if the situation was reversed what would happen you know and you would do it but like why do you have to take that extra step mm -hmm. you know what is it about women that like we have to say like should I ask you know and we think about it whereas like I, I have male colleagues who would be like hey call this person up thanks and then like not even think twice about yeah. it yeah I mean I, I think I'm sure that there's lots and lots of research on why women don't run for office and it talks about women not feeling qualified or lack of confidence and I think that's probably a big part of why women um, feel uncomfortable promoting themselves but I also think it has to do with um, the way women tend to relate to other people, they tend to be more collaborative, they tend to want to give people besides themselves credit, um, and I think that's actually valuable and we should do that, but that doesn't mean it should take away from giving yourself um, credit. I was reading a study um, by a Harvard Business Review and Catalyst, uh, which is a nonprofit that kind of promotes women in business, and it noted that, I mean, that there's still pervasive discrimination against women in the workplace and in the study they did they sort of said held everything content uh, constant you know same education level same skills same level experience you know held control for whether or not you had kids and saw that women still didn't get promoted at the same rates as men which speaks to kind of pervasive both conscious and unconscious bias but the one thing they found that mitigated against it was women who were willing to self-promote that they were actually able to get promotions you know I don't know if at the same rate as men but, but that self-promotion Promotion was something that really stood out for women who succeeded in the workplace. All things being being equal. Well, it's so interesting because I think I, I feel like that's also changing. Like younger women are better at self promoting than than I think some of us in past generations have been. But it's also it's you you feel I don't know. There's something every time I I ask someone or I put myself out there. There's still that feeling like should I have done that? You know you you do you do feel. I don't know, like self-conscious about it a little bit more. And I want to not, you know, and it's like, what can we all do? And what can we do to lift each other up to, to keep reminding people that they're better than this? Um, and again, I go back to, to work I've seen from, you know, people that I've worked with that has not been great, but they have no problem putting themselves out there. So um, I think if, if we're at like 75% and it looks good, go for it, you know? <laughs> right, right. I do, I think maybe one other resistance to self-promotion, and this is probably, I'm probably conflating self-promotion with what we talked about earlier around having a voice and being willing to express your opinion and stand up, stand up for your point of view, is fear of conflict. And I think there's a legitimate um, concern about conflict because um, women uh, on campaigns, which is, again is my main experience, uh, do get a reputation of being difficult, difficult. and overly aggressive. And um, I had a, a friend who, um, you know, recommended me for a particular campaign, and I actually got hired. And I called him and thanked him, and he said, "Oh yeah, I told him you're great. I said you had opinions, but that you were great." Ugh. And um, that like hurts my heart. <laughs> uh, and so, and I said thank you and hung up because you know what, I, I that was someone who you know was willing to uh, you know. Yeah. Um, sponsor me, right? But, like, but 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 so I so I think that you know that's a legitimate concern. Um, I am now almost fifty years old. I've been doing this for twenty years. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like there's anything else I have to prove, so I now give zero fucks. So I will have conflict on campaigns, not for the sake of having conflict, but if I think 
what I'm saying is not being heard or if I think something is not going well. Um, and it's there's no question that it, uh, there are certain people it has alienated, but like I said, I don't care anymore. I, mean, I think if you're younger, right. though, it's you, you have to care about that a little well, bit. But it's tricky. I mean, I've been on many, many hundreds of thousands of conference calls at this point where I am like the only woman on the call. And everybody everybody likes you until you, you challenge a point. And I think the problem here is you're on, a, you're on a call with a bunch of other consultants, right? And they all go do other races. So if you say something that's too difficult, they will then tell other clients she's really hard to work with, you know, and going back to like opinions. Well, we're, we're political consultants. Of course we have opinions. That was, that's what makes us valuable. That's our job, right? <laughs> and, then, have opinions. and like, you know why I get on a race? I get on a race because I want to win. Right. And I want to win and I know that I have good advice. So, you, you know, you better fucking listen to what I'm saying. And if you're not going to listen, come back and say, like, why you disagree. But right. don't just don't just say, like, come on, you're being difficult. I actually had a campaign manager once call me up after a call, after the conference call with a bunch of consultants where I said just as much as everybody else. There were a lot of, you know, and he goes, you know what, Rebecca, I, I'm really unhappy with you right now. I really I didn't like your, I didn't like that call. Right, like I was the person who was at fault because I had opinions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, you patronizing SOB, come on now. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I didn't say that because I had to still be polite. Right, of course. Ugh, being polite is the worst. I had, a, I, had a, <laughs> I had a manager call me up after a call that the uh, candidate was on the call and I disagreed with him on something. And he called me up and said, don't ever disagree with me in front of the candidate again. And I said, um, I'm sorry, I don't work for you. And uh, Actually, he was another consultant. I said, <laughs> I said, I don't work for you, and I have my own independent relationship with the candidate, and I'll express my opinion if I want to. But I've never worked with that person again, and I don't think that's <laughs> a coincidence. But, but I also think that that men disagreeing with other men is not seen as bad as no, women. and they can talk over each other, and right? Yell and, and it's like it's like you know, swinging who has a bigger dick, you know, exactly, <laughs> just going out exactly, like, well, you know, exactly. this. I mean, I've been on so many calls where I feel like it's like chest thumping, like everyone's like, no, it is, and then, you know, and I'm like, can we just cut the bullshit? get to what we need to do and just go on. Yeah. Like, everybody's important, you know? Mm -hmm, right. Let's stop this. Um, and yeah. they do, there is this, like, competitiveness on the call, you know, I feel mm -hmm. often with um, different consultants. But at the same time, like, we want to win, um, and the best way to do it is to assert ourselves. And then after we win that race, just we got to go self-promote and be like, this yep. candidate won because of this advice exactly. that we gave. So I think for younger women, my advice would be mm -hmm. is to pick your battles, right? So you can't, um, I mean, it's true now too, but I, again, I, like I said, I give zero fucks. So, mm -hmm. but I mean, if you're younger and you're not as well established is to pick your area of expertise and pick where you have the strongest feelings and be an advocate of that point of view and back it up with whatever backup you need. In my case, it would be with polling. And over time, you know, you will develop more confidence in a voice. So start small with speaking up, but do it in a place where you are supremely confident. By the way, I don't think men ever have to think about that. I think right. men pontificate and bullshit no matter what, but unfortunately, we're held to a different standard. Mm -hmm. So that'd be my advice to, you know, someone who's on their second or third campaign and, you know, you know, pick what it is you want to stand up for and do it consistently. And over time, you'll start to feel more confident, but also people will start expecting to hear that from you. Right. And I, th and I think that's actually really good advice because I don't think I picked my fight. I think I would just, I would just go to war mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, so and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Or like you go to war and you win your battle. Right, you win your one battle, but you like, lose the war. But you lose you you lose everything else, you know. And like it's just like elbows come out, and it's it's difficult. I think if I could go back to a younger me, um, I would say you know listen more 
and then really figure out who who your mentors are and mm-hmm. just stick with them and then like they will help you through all this. Well, and and, and the, that's another point it was well around mentoring and sponsoring so it, it's I have been at times I've been on a call and I've known that other people have agreed with me and I've emailed them during the call and said I need you to speak up and support what it is I'm saying because I can't be the only person saying this and most people will they'll say yeah you know if, if they agree with me right, of course right. but I mean so it's like pick the things that you feel strongly about that you feel expert in get allies and, and have them back you up and again over time you'll start feeling confident but also people will start looking to you as someone who is smart and something to contribute it's feels overly strategic but somehow feels necessary right, but I also think there is like a sad reality in that a lot of women's ideas are not seen as really good ones until a male colleague says oh that is a good idea mm-hmm. you know and I I'm at the point where I'm sort of like resenting the validation that I need to I kind know. of get that you know like which we all we actually need it like if 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 someone's gonna well, I said I send my email and say please back me up right <laughs> I mean and that's I had that happen on previous kids a lot of young women who had like like the brightest spots of a campaign and like people are just like oh whatever you're only like 25 Mm -hmm. and like when I see talent I grab that talent I don't Mm -hmm. care how old you are if you're good at something so if someone says I really believe this and they come to me I'm 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 gonna fight for them Mm -hmm. you know and that's and I feel like I didn't have a lot of fighters for me when I was starting out yeah I mean what you um well actually before we I was gonna ask you to tell us more about how you got started but I want to say one more thing in terms of self-promotion I, one of the stickiest things for me is what do you look like? Mm-hmm. What do you wear? How do you sound? So for example, this is gonna, and, and again, I don't think men ever have to really think about what they're wearing or what they sound like in thinking about self-promotion, but an example I would give is your uh, pitch, is that the right word, in terms mm-hmm. of your voice? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't, over the years I have, I've aged, <laughs> over the years I've aged, and my voice has gotten deeper. I also have deliberately made my voice a bit deeper. I remember when I first started teaching mm-hmm. at the Kennedy School, Jenny Mansbridge, who's a fantastic feminist scholar um, and a real supporter of women, came up to me after a presentation and she said, you really need to lower your voice. And I was kind of insulted. I mean, no one had said it to me before. I'd gone through the University of Chicago for grad school, which is a notoriously tough place, and no one ever said your voice is too high. And But I took it in and I really started working on making my voice lower and sometimes when I'm on conference calls and I hear a younger woman and she's got a really high and she ends with the uh, question mark like uh, and I want to and I don't want to insult her but and and it's and I think it's sad that it even has to be said but I do think it's worthwhile thinking about your your I don't even know if pitch is the right Right. word. Anna I wish you were there for me in my younger years because I got to say I've had a squeaky voice my whole life and it's the worst like I remember um, I was probably like 23 and I was pitching a reporter and it was like I had like written out my pitch it and I was like I was like on the phone I'm like and I really do feel like this would be infringing and then he just stops the call and he goes how old are you anyway and it just like it just ruined me Mm -hmm. you know what I mean here I was I was so confident and um, and he, I just sounded too young, and it just it destroyed me. Mm-hmm. And now, like I'm, I'm so much more in tune with what people say. What I have a problem with on these conference calls, if there is another woman, is they always say, "Can I say something?" Mm-hmm. Or I, I'd like to add something. And I'm like, "Girlfriend, just go for it." Right. You know, like stop asking for permission. Nobody else on this call is going to ask for permission. And I think that's the thing. Like we are, you know, sometimes the best points are sometimes the softest, and right. you have to like really get that out. So yeah. that's. 
I would say that's something. And I, I do think the ending a statement with a question is the worst. Right. Actually, there's a really good Terry Gross Fresh Air, and I can't remember when it was, who the guest was, but it was exactly about this issue. And even Terry Gross talked about the fact that when she first started out, she had a higher voice, that she had this lilt that kind of ending each kind of comment mm-hmm. as a question, and that she really, over the years, had to train herself. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I'll listen to an archived, you know, Fresh Air and hear her voice, and I can really see how her voice changed, mm-hmm. you know, over, over the years. But what you were, but I want to go back to what you were saying about like how you present yourself. Well, yes, because I think that's that's, that's tricky. I stress over clothes so much, and let me just say, the last ten years where I've been like having babies, trying to lose baby weight, going back and forth, like I can spend a good half hour of like going through clothes and like putting them on and being like, ugh, I can't zip this up, taking it off, putting it on, you know, this whole thing, and then because it's so important how you look, especially when you're pitching too, and. Um, like a, a shout out, I think, to the busty ladies out there because you're constantly trying to figure out how not to have too much bust, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I was um, when I was nursing, I was like, it was like Jessica Rabbit, it was like horrific, right. and I was like, how am I supposed to go into a pitch and look professional, like with these enormous things here? Like how am I supposed to? Yes. And like I just kept wearing more and more like sweaters and suits and just trying to, and basically I, I just need like a muumu, like I was just like I couldn't. And I do not, that, ladies, do not wear a muumu. <laughs> right, because you, there's something in this where you still have to look, you have to look feminine. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's sad but true, but like if you're going in for, especially with a male candidate, you know, you want to look presentable and like, you know, womanly. And mm-hmm. I don't know, and I mean, my problem was like, it was, especially when I was nursing, it was kind of a little bit over the right, wrong way. Right. But it is, it is tricky and you, you know, um, I'm someone who hates wearing makeup and I feel like you have to like go into these things, you know, your hair has to be like, I started getting manicures because I felt mm-hmm. like I had to yeah. be like, not today, but like. <laughs> you don't have to dress up for me or makeup for me. I mean, I feel like it's uh, a combination of having to look professional and feminine mm-hmm. and not too sexy. Right. And so that's a not an easy combination, um, mm. but that's sort of where, you know, sort of I've fallen. Um, and I really don't really ever wear clothes that are sexy. <laughs> right. I feel, but, yeah. Because honestly, um, I mean, that's a whole complicated thing about body image and right. how you feel about yourself and how you present. But in the end, I think I look better in well-tailored professional clothes than mm-hmm. I do in anything that's kind of too sexy. But uh, I know a consultant who had a you know reputation for dressing in a very provocative way with a lot of makeup and a lot of hair flipping. And, you know, she would get a lot of feedback you know about that that was not entirely positive mm-hmm. and you know that's sad um but you know i some i've seen some folks felt compelled to say something like maybe you should think about dressing a little bit you know mm-hmm. differently so i so i think it's unfortunate that women have to strike this balance but my my take has been professional a bit conservative but wearing makeup you know, blow drying my hair, wearing jewelry. And I have a friend who uh, used to be a federal prosecutor and she would do these cases, um, you know, on like child welfare cases, really brutal stuff. And she said that for the jury, she always wore pearls and a dress. She never wore pants, even though there's pantsuits, because the, these jury pools are really, are much older mm-hmm. than, you know, yeah. and so, and, and so, you know, she just thought that projecting like a respectful professional woman image to the jury, that she would do much better with them if she was like in a harsh pantsuit right. or something like that. And I, well, I always, and I feel like Republican women actually are better, just to generalize the entire group for a second, at like this pre- presentable thing than I think Democratic women are. Like, I am so harried getting out of the house in the morning, like I can like barely get like, 
I used to have like it's great that I don't have like baby vomit on myself anymore but it was it was always like such a such a hard thing to just get out the door and I remember going back and this is going to date me a little bit but I when it was the the Gore Bush fight in Florida like 2000 recount and no matter what was happening whatever the the Republican spokesperson would come on the air and just like like look totally together and make you feel like there's something the Democratic woman who was probably like dealing with all the like crap happening and in, in the trench would come on and she looked completely disheveled and, and I remember looking at her and being like we're never gonna win <laughs> you know, like, we look so we, we just we look the you know like we, we people want confidence in that and I think that's the same as like today when you you know when you have a, like you want to look like together and so I, I try and like wear heels and all that you know just yeah, I had a funny, uh, funny, humiliating experience after I had my, uh, I can't remember which, it was my son or daughter, but I was still pretty, you know, pretty just much, just had the baby, was still breastfeeding, and so, like you, I had enormous uh, breasts, <laughs> and so I was wearing, that was something like a muumuu, because, like, I literally had no clothes to fit me, and I was I was just coming back, and so, jo- John King used to have a show called John King USA, or something mm-hmm. like that, and so, he they I, had, I was asked to come on the show, and I came on, and the Republican woman was, first of all, like, eight feet tall, mm-hmm. and I'm very short, and she she was wearing this like very sophisticated black suit and she was all whatever and I was wearing this kind of red dress that you know didn't really fit me because I didn't have any clothes that fit me and they part of the segment you're sitting in a chair but part of the segment you stand Mm -hmm. and John King's really tall and I felt so stupid I I can't even and and I know I shouldn't have I mean here I am like feminist woman and I just felt really humiliated uh, when I and that started my tradition of not watching myself on TV <laughs> yeah. um, but and I would never do it again like I would actually so what I learned from that was I asked people because I'm so short what's the setup are yeah. we standing right. are we sitting mm-hmm. and if it's standing I'll say well I will, I'll need a box or something to stand on um, so that was a little, a little lesson right. for and me I think, right and I think when you're doing TV you have to do something that makes you feel confident too like mm-hmm. if you're or a presentation or whatever like do something that makes you feel good about yourself because you like if you're at a low point like we all go up and down on the scale right mm-hmm. so like there's days when you feel good about yourself and there's days you feel like crap so if you have to do something great on a day you feel like crap like what makes you feel good is it a pair of earrings it is it like mm-hmm. a certain dress like whatever um, but like I do feel like I've had plenty of those like bigger girl moments that have been really hard to figure out again this is when I, <laughs> I was nursing I was doing a pitch and um, and I realized one of my buttons kept falling off and I was like oh like right before I got in there and I was like oh my god what if it happens and I was so overcome with terror that like a button could like just bust yeah, open and, like, out. Yeah. and it was so I was going into a room of all men and I was just looking around at all the guys that that I knew there and I was like I can't talk to him about this and then I realized that one of the other guys had kids so he must have had like a wife who went through this and I like grabbed him by the shoulders and I'm like if this happens to me you have to tell me you have to tell me and he's like okay I swear I'll tell you and he's like dude what do I have to do you know, like, you're like put, put your finger on your nose right, right. so he was like across the room and, and like I kept looking at him he's like and he kept looking back at me like you're fine you're fine you know but it was just I was so terrified and and I think like you know like now being done with all the babies and when I'm getting back to like being myself again it's just it's it's nice to feel confident again mm-hmm. and you want when you do feel confident you you also see when other people don't feel confident you mm-hmm. can see it having felt mm-hmm. it and I think it's up to us to to empower those women and to take them inside and say like you can do this or you have great ideas yeah. um, but I also think if you're someone who wants to do a lot of TV um, think about what you look good in. Mm-hmm. Think about what makeup you look good in. 
and um, you know, make sure you wear that stuff because it really, I, mean, I know this is like it's becoming like this superficial conversation, but it really does when you feel like you are projecting yourself out there to the wider world and you don't like the way you're presenting yourself, it makes you very nervous. Uh, I find it makes me nervous because I because I'm self-conscious about it and I'm just gonna tell you right now the makeup artists at these TV stations they just slap makeup on you and I've had some horrible makeup so now I'm much more assertive about saying how much of it I want and like what color I want because if I get pink lipstick again right <laughs> I'm gonna kill somebody and so and, and similarly I like make sure I do my hair the way I want it before I go and say don't touch my hair because they'll do all kinds of wackadoodle stuff to my to my hair um, and again it's superficial but it's about making sure when you do that television segment especially when sometimes you're sitting in a room with a TV camera and you're and it's remote so you're by yourself so you're not having any body language or interaction with anybody and you're just staring at that the camera, camera like, it's a like it's a person <laughs> and you have to smile and nod your head as if you're in the same room with people feeling good about how you're presenting yourself in that context right. really makes you more confident yeah I, I agree with that and I think it's something that women like up to the top have had to deal with. Like I remember I did this. Uh, like Hillary Clinton, for example. Yeah. I was so I did the Sotomayor confirmation hearings and I remember I, she really wanted to wear like dangly earrings and it's like, no, you're not supposed to wear dangly earrings. You know, you're supposed to, because they're used to all these like older white women who wear these like little pearls or whatever. But it was like, you know, she wanted to be herself. That's what makes her feel confident. Like everybody's trying to make her feel like, you know, like this is what it has always been done. And you get in the push and pull of it all, you know, like, um, and I think she ultimately, I feel like she wore some of those dangly earrings at the end because mm -hmm. that's what she loved and that was like what yeah. made her hers. So. Yeah, and I, what, what I want to close out this conversation by saying this is about you feeling good and confident in yourself and it's not about how men perceive you. Yeah. I think trying to dress about, uh, leaving aside dressing too sexy, um, <laughs> which I think is, is, is somewhat problematic for women professionally, um, this is about how you feel about yourself and projecting confidence and it's not about trying to dress in a way that you think men think you should look. Mm -hmm. And I really want to make that distinction because mm -hmm. it's really about feeling good about yourself and that gives you the confidence to, to have a voice right. to express yourself. Yeah, there's definitely something, if you feel like you look good, I think, Feel, and you feel good about yourself, you will do a better job in whatever you're going yeah, out there exactly. for. Um, so you've got had a really long and storied career for Not such a young long. for such a young <laughs> way, for such a young person. Yeah. Um, you know, and and you're in the communications field, mm -hmm. which is um, and actually it's a field that a lot of women work in. Mm -hmm. If you think about the different political consulting yeah. professions, mm -hmm. consulting, uh, sorry, communications and fundraising, you know, tend to have a lot of women in them. Um, how do you um, how do you what is it? What is communications consulting, and how did you get into it? Well, I started, it's a funny question. So I started off um, as, you know, I interned in, in, on Capitol Hill when I was in Congress, at, when I was in college. And it was a really interesting time because the Republicans had just taken over. So I was like working for a freshman Democrat and I was the intern for a freshman. So I was like literally the lowest. Of <laughs> you can't get any lower. But I learned from everybody. You know, like they, I went to everything. I did, you know, I just soaked it and I was like such a political junkie and wanted to be everywhere. And I remember the day, I thought I wanted to go into education policy, like that's what I believed in. I wanted to make schools fairer for everybody. And I remember like, um, just like looking at the press secretary in the office and she every morning got to read like 18 papers mm -hmm. and then talk to the congressman about it and that was her job. I'm like, that's awesome. And then like the next day I just see her talking on the phone all day. I'm like, there's a job where you can talk on the phone all day? Like sign me the fuck up. <laughs> like this is great for me. Um, and I and, and then like I, I learned from it. Like you didn't have to do a lot of writing. The most writing you would do is like 
a page press release, which now is probably like just a tweet, you know? Seriously. So it was really interesting. And I liked, you know, I liked going to the congressman to like all the TV shows and like just seeing how he would interact with people. Fox News was just starting. It was like they wanted, they couldn't take anybody. anybody. So they would just take you. They would just take you, you know? So it was, it was really, it was really fun. Um, And then I worked on lots of campaigns, but I will say, I didn't realize how sexist the campaigns were until recently. I was on, I was the second young press woman on a campaign uh, in my early 20s, and they referred to her as press kitten number one, and they referred <gasps> to me as press kitten number two. And the whole campaign- Openly? Openly. They would just be like, hey, number two, can you go do this? Like, it was like a whole thing, and it was like all the men on the campaign, and I was like, sure, I'd be happy to, without realizing this is fucking horrendous, you know? And it was just, it was literally a couple years ago, I was like, that was bad. You know, and you just, you don't even realize it. Like, you're just, you're just going out and doing, you know, what you think you're supposed to do. Well, I'm hoping a newer generation of women realize it. I think our generation... I think finally, I think we're there. I think we've gotten there. But it was, I I do feel bad about how long it took me to get there. Um, But it was, you know, it was really about, like, doing all the grunt work. You know, a lot of people, you know, come in and they just feel like they can do anything, and that's great, but... You know, I worked for, I did press conferences where nobody would show up. Like, that's a really hard thing, you know. And I had reporters, you know, come to press conferences and they would say, I'm literally only going so you can stop fucking calling me. Like, Uh you're like, this is so, you're so annoying. (laughs) And I'm like, great, whatever gets you there. And then I'm like, don't write anything snarky. You know, do that. Um, And so I did, you know, I worked in and out of government. I loved, I loved campaigns. Um, the, The campaign life is hard as, you know. I was always just like in a random apartment in a random state, like cleaning out my closet, going to the next place. Like it was just, you make terrible decisions going, you're like, I just need a job anywhere. Like I'll go. Um, and then, I mean, I, I worked, I, then I, you know, I worked on the John Edwards campaign. I would like to say the good John Edwards campaign back. Everybody um, makes that distinction yes. whenever they talk about working for Edwards. <laughs> and that was to me, like, there were so many wonderful people on that race. And I felt like really, you know, um, like we could make something happen. Uh, you know, he didn't win, but it was it was one of those things like those people that you meet on the campaigns you just stick with your whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I had um, I wanted to be the Pennsylvania communications director um, in '04. Like you know, it mm-hmm. was Kerry versus Bush, and I I told someone that I really respected who was you know older than me, and I was like, I think I'm going to go for this. And he said, Oh, Rebecca, you're never going to get that job. Why don't you go apply to be a New Jersey communications director? And I said, but it's not competitive in New Jersey. He says, exactly. Try that. Try it. And, and I remember leaving the meeting. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> and I went for the BA job and I got it. And then after the race, like trying to figure out what, what happened next, I had a boss who just said, Jim Jordan, who said, you were great. I just recommended you for the Harry Reid job. You know, like go be the communications director. And I said, oh, I don't know if I'm qualified. You know, like I've never done, you know, I did some national company, you know, and he's like, Rebecca, just fucking go for it. You know? Right. Well, actually, that's that, that's funny because I, I always feel like when anyone calls me and says, do you do such and such? I say yes. No matter, <laughs> almost no matter what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, be, and, and so that's, you know, because right. I feel like, you know, you, you, you say yes and you fake it so you make it. And I think right. that's what a lot of men do. Um, and it turns out usually you're pretty good at the thing that you thought maybe you weren't yeah. pretty good at. And it's like, and just try. I mean, I start off the, that cycle as someone telling me, you you know, try for New Jersey Senate or try for the New Jersey, like, coordinated. And by the end of it, I was like the communications director for the Senate Democratic leader. So, like, go for it. You know what I mean? What have you got to lose? If worst case scenario, you don't get a job. But, like, go, like, go for it. Um, and then... Um, you know, I was just, 
I was tired. <laughs> uh, you know, after a couple of years, we won back, you know, the Senate for the Democrats. And then I was just like, I don't want to get into fights with congressional, like Senate offices every day about speaking order, <laughs> which by the end of it, everybody, you know, if you're dealing with like the logistics of putting together like 10 Democratic senators for a press conference, everybody wants to speak first. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you're like, come on, like a bunch right. of crybabies. Right. So, um, <laughs> That was when I really tried to figure out like what to do next. And I remember I did a couple different things. Um, and I was at a wedding trying to f- of a, a former coworker, and um, Nick Baldick said to me, it's, you know, it's really too bad you don't live in DC because if you lived here, I'd hire you in a minute. And I remember being like, oh, that's so sad. I would have loved to work for him. And then I thought about it. And that night, maybe after a few too many drinks, I wrote him an email. I'm like, what if I didn't live in D.C.? Would you still hire me? You should hire me. You know. And Hilltop at that time didn't have any offices out of, um, out of Washington. We just had one main one. And I was in Boston. And he just said, OK, go for mm-hmm. it. Work it. Um, and because consulting is not a business where you have to spend a lot of in-person time, you right. just do a lot of conference calls. I was the first satellite office, and it was great. And then was it your like the office in your house? <laughs> <laughs> we actually we actually got some office space, but I couldn't work in my house. I hated working in my house. I just ate all day. It was terrible. Um, so and then I wanted to move to New York, so I called him and I said, "Hey, can we have a New York office instead of a Boston office? I want to live in New York now." And he's like, "Okay." And then I remember we were, we had some um, space uh, by Union Square, and I was like starting to think about having a family, and I was doing all that stuff, and I was like, "I really." But I also really wanted my own office, and I wanted it in Brooklyn. I wanted to be close to him. So I remember I said, okay, like, I really want this office. And he said, great, let's go for it. He signed the lease. And I'm like, I'm glad you signed the lease. By the way, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and then, but, you know, it's it's been fun being here and being, like, consulting is so great because you can help candidates, you know, here in your hometown or all over the place. So, like, for me, I was... Like one cycle I spent literally the whole time on the road. And then I said, okay, I want to find a New York City-based client because I'm sick of working so hard. Unfortunately, it was Bill de Blasio and I really didn't realize it would be like much harder work. Right. <laughs> I would never leave the city, but it would just, it would take, you know, 18 hours a day. Um, and it's been great. I mean, one of my favorite clients right now is Planned Parenthood, being able to help them um, and just working with some just amazing women. And it's really the first time in my life that I've worked with, like, you know, you'll have a meeting and it's a room full of women and yes. it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, um, for most of my kind of high profile campaigns, I'm usually one of one or two women, but I'm starting to have women running for Congress who want to hire women. Uh, and it's weird to say starting because I can't tell you how many congressional races I've done for women mm-hmm. that have, you know, mostly male consultants. And so right now I actually have multiple clients where there are two or three of the consultants or in fact the entire team. Um, I love is, that. Is, 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 uh, are, are women. And it's um, it's a really different dynamic. It's more collaborative. There's less fighting. Um, you know, there's like checking in, see how you're doing. I mean, it's a very <laughs> different, it's a very different vibe, I, you know. Um, and I feel, maybe because I'm older now and in a lot of these cases the women are younger, I feel like, you know, I can help them. You know, like their success helps all of us. I don't feel like I'm in competition you know, with them the way I do sometimes on campaigns that have mostly mostly men. I think just being here in New York, like I've seen um, from campaigns like two cycles ago till now, like some young women kind of like right out of college just started, in some cases still in college, like getting, you know, more and more dedicated, getting up the ladder. And I've just been so proud, like I'm like a proud mama, you know, to see these women who really like work their asses off and they're just like really achieving. And it's like, as in now, like not a young woman, <laughs> I feel like it's our job to like help them um, go out there. And I always say like, come to me, like 
I will help you. And now I'm realizing they're all coming to me and I have to help them, but it's, it's good. It's, really I, good. it's also like I always would, you know, a lot of people, you know, want to meet with me and have advice or, you know, help find a job. And sometimes you're busy, you know, and then you think, pay it forward. Think about all those people who helped you, you know, yeah. pay it forward. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast, That's What She Said, the eighth and final episode for 2017. I'm Anna Greenberg, your host, and I'll be back in 2018 to continue the conversation. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SheSaidPaulPod, and please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks, and have a happy new year.